The facts. In a talent market that is more competitive and less understood than any other time in history, it's the facts that matter. Welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that delivers the facts, the latest research and data on the key issues and opportunities facing talent acquisition and HR professionals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that's all about the facts, the latest findings and data from talent acquisition research. My name is Peter Weddle, the CEO of TA Tech, the Association for Talent Acquisition Solutions. And I'm Shalia Gray. I'm the Global Talent Acquisition Lead for Claudius. And every one of our episodes is all about looking at the facts from two different perspectives. Shalila looks at it from the perspective of employers and recruiters. I look at it from the perspective of talent technology solution providers. And hopefully between the two of us, we can uh, provide some insights that would be helpful to you in managing your talent acquisition operations and colleagues. So today we're going to look at a report from WorkTech. It's entitled future-proof your talent acquisition strategy, the new model for talent acquisition leadership. But first, I'd like to let you hear from our sponsor. Acquire is a brand new solution that's just been released by Kilo, an established recruitment marketing and technology agency. Here's how it describes Acquire. Acquire is programmatic jobs distribution with easy apply. It's been developed to address the shortcomings and pain points within the programmatic recruitment marketing space. By building a modern platform with true campaign management capabilities, we're changing the game in programmatic technology. What does that mean? Well, first, our technology uses real-time data and machine learning to optimize performance and control spend, maximizing your ROI. Second, We set up your jobs on quick apply, even when it hasn't been adopted in the past. With our software, you can add quick apply to all, some, or none of your jobs. And third, we provide a customizable dashboard that gives you the ability to manage your campaigns and quickly access data from multiple sources. So say goodbye to logging on to different platform accounts to manage your jobs and candidates and say hello to Acquire's one-stop shop. Visit us at acquireroi.com. Again, that's acquireroi.com. Okay, so as I mentioned, we're going to talk about a a report from WorkTech entitled Future Proof Your Talent Acquisition Strategy, the New Model for Talent Acquisition Leadership. Uh, The report is the latest in a number of research efforts designed, seems to me, to try to makes sense of a a recruiting world turned upside down. There's just a host of changes that uh, are, we believe, leading to uh, transformation for talent acquisition leaders and recruiters. And and what these reports, it seems to me, are trying to figure out is, well, what those changes are and what that transformation will be like. But I'm, you know, I'm not so sure. I remember the old aphorism, the more things change, the more they remain the same. So what do you think, Shalila? I mean, before we even talk about the report, just in general, 
are things really changing out there in talent acquisition? I'm going to say things are changing, you know, significantly in, in talent acquisition. I was in a presentation uh, just last week uh, when we were talking about pay transparency. You know, that's the that's one of the new things out there. Uh, what should we be transparent on? What data should we provide? All of that. Um, I think that TA, from when I started my career, which was really just recruiting, has really evolved into that business partner, that uh, talent market analyst, that problem solver, that metrics, um, and technology, <laughs> technology understander, um, and outsourcing. So I, I do believe that um, our function uh, of talent acquisition has evolved over time. Well, that's certainly going to be the topic we're going to look at today based on this report. Uh, it is itself based on a survey of 1,022 talent leaders in companies with more than 1,000 employees and also with, quote, dozens of interviews with talent leaders and industry experts. Uh, it, it, do, it doesn't say when the survey and interviews were done, but I, I think we can assume that happened this year. Now, given the demographics of those surveyed, the report's findings and data, I think, uh, you know, at first blush would seem applicable only in a very limited way. Uh, you know, for example, as the report notes, the new technology, uh, the new talent acquisition organization that it, provo uh, that it proposes is relevant only to, quote, larger companies building for scale. Uh, you know, th that said, I, th I think the report is important reading for SMBs as well uh, as enterprise employers. And, and the reason I say that is because I think uh, it's an interesting baseline and what companies can do, no matter what their size is, look at the baseline and then pull out the pieces that are most relevant to it, which are the most affordable for it um, and, and gain something from the report as well. So I, I think it's a report that everyone should read, not just enterprise employers. So what did it find? Well, Finding number one is that talent acquisition now has five priorities. Uh, and the report argues that these priorities are what's driving new models for recruiting team skills, process, workflows, technologies, the whole ball of wax. So here's the data cited by the report. Uh, for what it calls volume, 93% of the respondents listed the need for more candidates as a top priority. Then it identifies velocity. 89% of the respondents listed the need to find candidates and hire faster as a top priority. Diversity. 75% of the respondents listed the need for more diverse candidates as a top priority. What it called veracity. 63% listed the need for quality data as a top priority. And finally, values. That's the fifth. 59% listed the need to improve brand and experience as a top priority. So there are the five, volume, velocity, diversity, veracity, and values. What do you think, Shalila? Do those priorities sound right to you? You know, they don't sound right to me because I think what people miss is quality. Because I think when it says 93% um, listed the need for more candidates, if you are building an organization, if you are growing an organization, volume is important. But if your organization is doing replacement hiring time and time again, and I've been in a lot of industries where, you know, our turnover rates have been so high 
Um, I really believe that part of the thing we do not focus enough on is the quality of hire. I, I, to me, that is one of my top priorities because I believe if you bring a top candidate, and it's not for all jobs, but you know, I, I do believe you want to find a candidate who fits your culture, fits your job, and has the flexibility to grow in their role in the organization. And I think those things are good qualities to have in addition to the competencies of the job, but those things will make the right candidates. So I think that you can reduce the number for volume and speed if you find the right candidate. So I, I do believe that the other things are important. I just don't necessarily know if I, I find them as important in this order as others. So how would you, how do you get the organization to agree on the definition of quality? You know, a couple of things. So years ago, and I don't know if it's still the case, um, uh, Saratoga used to have a definition of the poor quality of hire is, is, is candidates that leave the organization in less than a year, right? Because if they leave within a year, that means either the job, the onboarding, the skills, something was wrong and someone cannot make it for a year. If they're tapping out, there's something there. I think a quality hire is measured by a couple of things. They're measured by the retention, how long they stay. Uh, they're measured by the performance. Uh, so their performance rating for at least their first two years to see how they're doing. And then long term, you know, how much internal mobility do we have in our, in our employees? I think those are some of the measures of quality. I also believe that you know, every time this is just, you know, pie in the sky. But for me, anytime that there's an opening, there's an opportunity to upgrade a job. So while you may have loved the candidate that was in before and they did a good job, now you want to take what they did and up-level it. What are some of the other things that are in the market or could be done in this role that we need to think about? Or um, as we, this person got hired to do one thing and we really saw the value of what they could bring to the organization, can we create another, a different type of role? Because it's a different set of skills. So I, I, that's how I think you get to quality. You know, uh, I think I think that's such an important point because all too often when we talk to hiring managers and we're filling an opening, they'll say, I want somebody just like Joe or just like Jane, who was in that position before. Uh, and what that means is the organization never grows, never adds additional perspectives, additional values. Uh, but it's hard to capture or, or to get out of that box, you know, to capture those opportunities for uh, differences, because that requires that you, you know, have a sense of, of what could, what could bring contributions to the organization that you haven't had in the past. That's, that's hard to dream up. Well, I think there's a couple things. One, we don't take enough time to interview regrettable losses, right? People who made a significant contribution to the organization, we may not be able to keep them, but there's something about their DNA that we liked. That's why they're regrettable. We don't, we don't do enough of that. Now, you know, there's the challenge out there that some of this AI that's out there on the front end of recruiting is capturing not only the candidates that apply and compare it to the job, but they're also growing from the knowledge of which candidates apply continue into the process. And so they're growing. So some of the AI is trying supposedly to help us with the quality of a candidate slate by putting other factors that are beyond what's on the job description. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And, you know, you mentioned uh, 
pay transparency mm -hmm. uh, earlier. And that's obviously becoming more and more of a legal requirement. So even if you don't want to do it, uh, you're going to be required to do so. And I, I am respectful of the fact that that can cause an organization's problems with internal equity uh, in terms Absolutely. of compensation. But on the other hand, I think when we talk about quality, you know, the best performers are simply not going to apply for a job where they don't know that there's a uh, an advantage, a benefit to them compensation wise uh, in in the opening that they're considering. So I, I, I think, you know, I think for strategic reasons, let alone legal reasons, if your goal is to to get the highest quality applicants, you have to put a sal at least a salary range. Well, what's always amazed me is is the response rate. I, I've always felt like candidates will respond better to an agency a lot of times when approached for an opening. And you know why? Because because an agency can tell you what the job is paying most of the time. Recruiters tend to be shifty. It's, it's sort of like, you know, we, we come into a, a car dealership and the dealer's like, you know, what do you want to pay for this car? And you know how much you want to pay for this car. But you say all these other things like uh, what the book value is, whatever, you get all shifty um, and, and, and you're there to close the deal. Well, I think that, you know, candidates, when, they, when they're contacted by an agency, a search firm and a research firm, and they're for an opportunity, candidates feel the, the, the ability to ask, what's the salary range? And I feel that those search firms are able to say they're wanting to pay this. I don't find candidates challenging what, what the agency says. They, they welcome the knowledge. But when it comes to internal, we seem to be, um, we seem to get nervous about sharing compensation. So I think pay transparency is a good thing. Well, and I also have heard, I, I don't know that I've seen any research on this, but I have heard that uh, there's more and more willingness on the part of job seekers to just come right out and, and ask an employer what are, you know what are you paying uh, so uh, you know that dynamic has changed or appears to be changing as well from our you know from our first podcast that we did we talked about uh how the market was changing from a win-win to a win candidate lose company um uh, i think that's when the dynamic flipped candidates are asking is this job a hybrid can i work from home uh, what's the benefit structure? Because I have kids that, you know, I'm homeschooling or whatever. And what is the compensation like? I think it empowered uh, 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 candidates. They're no longer afraid to open that conversation early on because they perceive that they have more options. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Finding number two. The new talent acquisition organization is not your grandmother's or even your mother's recruiting team. Effective talent acquisition in today's tight market requires contributions from a broad range of players. And here's, here's what the report lists. Employment branding specialists, data analysts and scientists, recruitment operations specialists, sourcers, early career recruiters, uh, what we used to call campus recruiters, uh, recruitment marketing specialists, recruitment admin specialists, and digital content specialists. So, Shalil, you run a large TA organization. What do you think of that architecture? Does that does that make some sense? Is it aspirational or is it realistic? It takes a village. It takes a village. I'm not going to say that all of these things are done internally because we all have budgets. 
Some of this stuff we pay for the expertise um, externally. I'm going to say it's all of this. It's also outsourcing because we're doing more outsourcing than we've ever done before on certain functions, certain um, certain tasks. Uh, the other thing that I don't see on their list or was called out is our operations teams. I don't remember. Uh, it's become fashionable in the last 10 years for there to be operation teams or one group I saw I called it TA enablement. Just like you have sales enablement, the TA enablement team. Um, and, and branding specialists. Those are those are new and growing roles within TA. So it, it is not your grandmother's organization. But I don't believe all of those things are internal. I think some of those things are outsourced now. But those are the types of things you need to be successful. Yes. So you mentioned earlier budget. Uh, do you think that on average, that not your organization, but just on average, does the C-suite, and in particular, the CFO, understand the need to invest in this large and complex an organization for recruiting. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that recruiters were pretty much it. They might have outsourced a little uh, sourcing activity to, to someone or some company. But at the end of the day, each poor recruiter was handling, what, 12, 14, 15 different recs all at one time. Uh, and you really didn't even pay much attention to recruitment marketing. So, so, you know, does does the folks who enable this stuff with with the budget, uh, do they do they understand the need for this kind of an organization? I'm going to say it was right after COVID or maybe in the middle of COVID. There was a survey that was sent out to recruiters, recruitment organizations asking around different things that were going on. And one was, has your budget remained the same, been cut or increased? Um, and I was surprised many of our budgets got increased because of virtual work, right? So ensuring that we had the right platforms to do virtual interviews, adding more assessments. I saw organizations do that. Um, I have not seen, if you go to LinkedIn, there's always someone out there showing their new hire swag, right? Used to be you get a mug, cup something the first day <laughs> now that many more employees are working from home and uh, one of my peers said something interesting they were talking about how the organization went virtual and one of the things that their employees valued is something coming to their door like having a virtual meeting and you know they did a cooking exercise and they sent everybody aprons with their name on it something coming to your door there's been an intrinsic you know a satisfaction for that so I do believe companies have understood some of the investment that is need to be made in recruitment other than just job boards, a LinkedIn license, and you know, a space to work. I think during COVID, they realized uh, the need to connect in different ways. And I think they put, you know, they put some, some money for the um, for the improvements over there. Not everyone got the dollars, and I and I and I hear now because I stay in touch with my peers that many organizations are going through right now in terms of uh, downsizing and, and right sizing right now. So you know, my thoughts go out to any of those people, any of my peers that are out there in that market trying to struggle with that right now. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, the traditional strategy remains in place: last in, first out. So some of these newer positions that have been created. Obviously, there's a need for them, but they don't have the tenure to be protected when staff reductions come along. The, the other thing I saw uh, that I thought was missing, 
was a connection to retention. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that this separation of this is talent acquisition over here uh, and they get the people to, to the front door and then it's HR and their responsibility to uh, hang on to them. I, I think that's, you know, uh, a, a pattern from the past. Uh, and really, you know, talent acquisition uh, and recruiting needs to be connected to retention, whether it's uh, through internal mobility and keep and keeping people engaged by giving them opportunities to advance in their career, uh, whether it's just re-energizing their connection with the organization and its cultures and values and mission. I, I just think that there is uh, a role for talent acquisition to play there. I'm going to say it's a team sport and, and, and now it engages all of the HR functions. So you need help with from the HR business partners as you as the managers are creating jobs, getting jobs leveled, understanding the scope of the work, HR business partners are your at asset. You need compensation because I have never seen compensation trends change as quickly as they are. And things like these pay equity laws are coming in pretty quickly. So having not only a, a, a pay practice, having um, the philosophy around compensation and the movement of talent and what you will pay. So comp is a, is a big player. The other piece is org design. You know, making sure that people are in the right organization based on their skills and abilities. So the OD group comes in. I use my talent management team for training on interview skills, unconscious bias um, for my managers. You know, I, I do believe and, and I work also with the team when it comes to technology. So they're my partner to say what should sit on top of the HRS system, what can leverage our processes globally. So I think it's a team sport. You know, we're all in here. We all play a very, very critical role. There may be one face to the candidate, to the hiring manager, but we're all, all supporting cast of characters here. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings us to finding number three. I mean, given, given this much more complex and robust vision for the talent acquisition organization, uh, one of the topics that they raise um, and one of the statements that the report makes is that the debate over where talent acquisition should reside in the enterprise is over. Um, and it makes that pronouncement because 89% of the respondents to its survey believe that a change to where TA reports is unlikely. Um, and I'm going to respectfully suggest that the reason you have that kind of an outcome in the survey is because the issue has been framed incorrectly. Um, the report implies that recruiting will only get the recognition it deserved it deserves if it's tied to revenue. So that means it needs to be, if it's going to move, it needs to move to sales or marketing. And yes, you can correlate unfilled positions to lost revenue. But to me, that hugely understates the significance of talent acquisitions work. What actually matters, it seems to me, is a much larger and more important value statement. And that is an enterprise can't manage the human resources it doesn't have. What do you think? When I saw the sales and marketing, um, the first thing I thought was sales and marketing of all functions. If I were to put TA in a non-HR function, I would actually put it in supply chain and procurement. 
um, because it is part of the supply chain, right? So it is hiring the talent that, that does the organization. And I actually would, um, if I put it in, in procurement, I would actually align it with contingent labor, right? Gig work and all the other channels if I were putting it outside of HR. Um, because I think that's that's where that that's where that, that that's where it's it's most critical. As you're thinking about your business strategy and you're thinking about what you need for your business strategy, you would go to the procurement organization because you need to acquire the resources to make it happen, and people are one of those resources. That's that if I was putting it outside of HR. Inside of HR, I mean I've had, you know, I've reported in through everything but the kitchen sink. Um, you know, I've reported in through legal. I've reported in through uh, the CHRO. I've reported in through talent management. Um, what I will say is that the one area that I think it struggles, and this is my opinion only, is when it goes under talent management. I think that talent management is a wonderful complement to TA, but I've yet to find a talent management leader who has who has T under a under it that understands it fully the complexities of talent and it's funny because I never see a talent acquisition leader leading it with talent management under it and I think that to me is where the flip would be because I I believe that the talent acquisition not of importance but the talent acquisition piece is the whole complex piece and talent management is the managing of the talent, the performance, the onboarding, those components, and they are more project internally face uh, focused components than the external piece, which is talent acquisition. That's the only one I think is very difficult. I've reported to talent management leaders before. They've wanted to understand the function, but most times they shake their heads because they don't get the complexity because a lot of times what happens in TA moves at the speed of the market. Like just right now, you know, just pay transparency, understanding what it means to the organization, what laws are going into effect, what you have to put on job posting. They could circle their heads around that. You know, when we moved to um, not asking salaries, you know, did not understand that. Well, what does that mean? It's just more complex, I think. But I, I, I do think that it needs to be aligned with HR. Well, I certainly would agree that it needs to be aligned with HR and, and for that matter, with the other functions in the enterprise. But I, my view is more radical. My view is that um, if you can't manage the resources you don't have, then I would argue that um, if, you know, human capital management today is still, or human capital, I should say, is still central to every organization. If you, unless the organization is wholly automated, you need people to make this stuff work. Um, and, and so therefore I believe that instead of putting TA under something else, TA ought to be a standalone entity that reports directly to the CEO or COO on a par equal to HR sales and marketing procurement, whatever you want. I, I would agree. I would agree, except when it comes to your CEO understanding the importance of TA. Because when it sits, and, and I've had numerous conversations with, with senior leaders and CEOs, they get to, they understand the heart part of the people, but they come back to how do you measure efficiency? What's the rec loads? How many candidates are they filling a month? 
they get to the numbers more so than the understanding of the talent and the importance of the talent. So I do believe you need that other piece to help them see big picture because CEOs a lot of times don't get that piece. They have good intentions, but they don't get that piece. And that's why a lot of times they'll say, how, you know, uh, how, how, can, how can I be of assistance to you? As opposed to them understanding my heart can be of assistance is ensuring that what I believe the culture and how we operate as an organization is reinforced with my leadership team, the hiring managers, the, the incentive structure. They don't understand. They ask for you to explain it to them. They're not as in tune when it comes to, to working with the CEO on TA. So while I think it's great and I do think it's of importance, they have a harder time understanding our function. They need to have a bigger picture. Their bigger picture is turnover. Their bigger picture is, you know, business development. Their bigger picture, they need that to be able to understand the importance of TA. So that's just me. Well, uh, we're all the products of our background, and, and, and I'm an old soldier. And when you look at a military unit, the personnel person, the S1, is on an equal basis with the operations person, with the logistics person. They all have the same uh, importance and priority on the staff, and they all report directly to the commander. Uh, and to me, uh, that's a strategic view of leadership. And, and I appreciate that CEOs manage by the numbers, but that's a management perspective. If you want to take a leadership perspective, then you have to take a step back and understand you don't have an organization without people. Uh, and, and therefore you need to, you need to look at it, not only from the numbers. I'm not saying you ignore the numbers, but you also have to look at it from that strategic point of view. Uh, maybe that's, as I was saying earlier, more aspirational than realistic. Well, we'll have to see. Well, listen, Shalila, we've already come to the end of our 30 minutes. As as usual, you and I could talk on forever on some of these topics. This was a very interesting report. Again, it's a report from, uh, let's see, from WorkTech entitled Future, Future Proof Your Talent Acquisition Strategy, the New Model for Talent Acquisition Leadership. Our next show is going to take a look at a new white paper from AMS entitled Exploding Digital Myths in Talent Acquisition. So that should be a great discussion as well. So thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. You can listen directly to all of our shows at tatech.org forward slash start dash smart, or you can download the show at Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. Thanks again very much for being here. We'll see you next time. That concludes this episode of Start Smart. Thanks very much for joining us. And come back for our next episodes on the latest research that will help you shape your talent acquisition with the facts. See you then.